Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. All right, gang, welcome back to a bonus content. Over the years, covering the live fire industry, I have come to find certain truths that relate to this world. One of the things that comes to mind is this. Even though you think the cooker you're about to buy is going to be a lot of money, over the years, you will certainly accumulate more accessories and stuff that will outpace the initial cost of that cooker. But when it comes to the companies that make these accessories, how do these companies start? And perhaps more importantly, how do they continue to evolve and stay relevant in the marketplace? Helping me to navigate those waters within this bonus segment today is the owner of the newest sponsor of the show, Yukon Glory. I welcome Ezreal Rappaport to the show. Ezreal, thanks for joining me. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing amazing. Certainly appreciate you jumping on with me to cover these topics. So before we get into Yukon Glory and obviously the associated products that you have, which are absolutely impressive. Can we get a little background about you personally and professionally we can build in from there? Sure. I was actually born in Switzerland. Swiss German is my first language. I moved to the United States approximately 25 years ago and got married to an American woman. And here I am now in America. My family living in New York ended up opening a business, initially a hardware, houseware store, actually. Slowly, that evolved into what we have today, which is Yukon Glory, our pride and our brand. So when you're running the hardware shop, is that something where you had some live fire products in there and you just saw the growth and people were asking for more accessories? What's the evolution of Yukon Glory from the hardware store? So it's actually uh, quite interesting. Yes, we do sell, and we still have the store. Our store location still exists. And we do sell barbecue and barbecue-related products, for sure. But that's not how this company actually came to be. It's a funny story. Um, My partner, Isaac, bought a home approximately uh, 11 years ago now. And he received a housewarming gift, a Weber grill. And he figured, you know, let me buy a cover. It's a nice little Weber grill. I'm going to get a cover for it to protect it. Grill was not purchased by us. It was purchased in a a different store. And he called them up and he said, I'd love to get a Weber cover for my new grill. They said, well, no, that's back ordered. And he's like, a cover is back ordered? I mean, I've heard of products being back ordered, but this is a a piece of plastic. It's a cover. And they're like, yeah, I know it's been back ordered for a long time. Uh, we've actually been trying to get them back into stock, uh, but can take months for you to get it. So he came over to me and he's like, does it make sense to you that a grill cover is back order? I said, sounds like an opportunity to me. Uh, so we started talking about it. And initially, we just started, uh, you know, as part of our store, we started back ordering these Weber covers to actually have them in stock when they do come in, because there seemed to have been a perennial shortage of the covers. But that led us to think, like, why is Weber the only one making Weber covers? Why is Weber the only one making covers for their grills? I mean, there were all these universal grill covers out there, but as you probably know, they, they don't look that good. They don't look like they're made for the product and they're not a perfect fit. So we said, you know what, let's look at one of these Weber covers when we get them and see, isn't there something that we can do that mimics what they're doing as to give people an option? You know, It was really born out of a necessity because those covers just weren't available. 
that led us down <laughs> a rabbit hole. Definitely a very long learning experience. It actually started by us creating a perfectly fitting cover for the Weber grill that Isaac received as his housewarming gift. We launched with that cover and that's how the company was born. So the flagship product is born over a grill cover. I can see business opportunities much like you did, but then there's the whole rubber to the road aspect. What are the next steps you have to do in order to try? So you had to get the cover in. Obviously, you had to review it. I have no idea who you're having also put eyeballs on that thing to see, well, here's material or here's how the, the sketch might work. And then at some point, you either have to get in contact with a manufacturer yourself. Did you have relationships with any manufacturers or a partner that was going to help you try and make these things? Or this is all learning experiences right from Jump Street? Good question. So I'm going to say that probably the best thing that I had going for myself was that I was an idiot. Probably just not knowing what was involved is what actually allowed us to go down that path ultimately. So you asked a couple of questions and good questions, really, like how do you make sure that things are right? And, you know, we thought initially, hey, why don't we take one of these Weber covers and go on Alibaba and find some Chinese manufacturer that has the ability to mimic the material or maybe put in a couple of changes to make it more interesting and potentially solve some problems. And you know what? We have a product, right? Turns out that once you're in it, you end up just like being sucked deeper and deeper. But we definitely had to learn everything about stitching and different types of polyesters and thicknesses of material and fading in the sun and logo printing. And it was definitely a lot of fun. But I think that only because we did not know what was involved is what actually allowed us to venture into that. Were there points during this process where it did become overwhelming or you and your partner were like, oh my God, I can't believe there's this much stuff involved in trying to get where we need to go? Yes, it was. There were definitely points like that. But the, the interesting thing is that those points that did not actually come all the way in the beginning, you know, it was almost somewhat smooth sailing on, on that first. We happened to have hit onto a really good factory and we got that first batch and it was good. And there was really good demand for it. There was pretty immediate uh, uptake in the market. And, you know, we thought, oh, wow, we've got a we've got a winner here. You know, it was only really six months in, you know, when we were reordering and starting to look, for, first of all, for different grill models, and etc. But we ended up getting another order in of the product that we thought was the same product. But it turned out that the manufacturer had saved themselves money by using a lower gauge polyester. And doing, you know, a single stitch version of the product rather than a double stitched. And initially all was well, we sold the products, but we started getting complaints that, uh, that they were tearing at the seams and that they were fading in the sun. And here we are, this young company, we were riding high for a little bit and we were just like pulled right back down. It was definitely very interesting, but you know, I, I, I actually want to just elaborate on that. When I was saying that I was an idiot, I mean it. A lot of times now when people ask me like for business advice, I say, be an idiot. Don't overthink it because you're going to run into a lot of problems, whether you know everything or don't know everything. You're going to run into problems. And the only benefit that you have by knowing everything is that you're never going to even attempt it because you're going to know all the problems you're going to run into. 
being a little bit of an idiot is actually a quite healthy uh, thing that allows you to venture into new things and to discover new things. So just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> Were you selling your Yukon Glory covers through the storefront only, or had you also begun to devise a web presence at that point? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, so we started off initially in the store. We got it up on Amazon, and that obviously took it to a whole nother level. At that point, we were literally the only manufacturer out there in the world that made specific covers for grills other than the manufacturers themselves. So since they, are, they never had any stock on their covers, we ended up just like exploding in the market and you you know how big the market is for these yeah, grills and specifically you know so they were flying off the shelf and it was definitely very uh very exciting in the beginning how do you evolve over the years once you really set yourself firm into the aftermarket space with these grill covers i would assume since they're doing so well you're also now building a reputation for somebody that's able to build a product that nobody else seems to have been able to do also, you're providing a product that the manufacturers themselves have trouble providing to the customers for their own grills that they're selling. At what point do you start to say, we've done it here. Now, what else should we be looking at to start building out a product's portfolio? So I'd love to answer that that was just brilliance, but really we were forced into it. Initially, we, had, we were just expanding the covers to fit more models, more grills, even more manufacturers. But Pretty soon, you know, on Amazon, you end up, people see that you have a successful product and they start copying you. And if you look today, for example, the amount of people that make specific covers for Weber grills and other grills, uh, you know, in the aftermarket space has grown exponentially. And at some point we were really getting, starting to get pushed out of the market. We never really had thought about going past the, the space of covers we had to take a better look at ourselves and say, hey, who are we? What are we really providing to our customers? And that made us question, what, what are we really doing? We made a decision from the get-go that we're going to provide a premium product, not, not one of those cheap covers that you can buy in a discount store for $7. We wanted to use the best materials, the best stitching. And why don't we do this with other barbecue products? You know, we, We're not going to be able to compete long-term in a space that ultimately is going to become a commodity space. Mm -hmm. And we went out and started looking for an engineer to start designing our own products. That itself is actually quite a funny story because uh, we had no idea how to look for an engineer or a designer. We happened to have been by this Kickstarter conference and just this guy walking around over there and he's like, uh, yeah, I designed this really cool speaker and I'm going to bring it to market. And he had been working on the speaker for like years and we're like, dude, why don't you come join us? And you can keep working on your speaker and do your thing, but maybe help us develop some products. So this guy comes in and he's like, okay, I'm going to need a CNC machine. And we, we end up just straight up, we buy all this equipment. Wow, we blind faith, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, a couple of years, uh, you know, he's, it's really exciting. We have all, we're developing this problem, but we realized that we never actually completed any products. Everything was like almost completed. And that's when it hit us. There's a reason why this guy never brought a speaker to the market. There is no completion, you know. We said, hey, we're going to have to look for someone that actually has some sort of experience of actually designing products that come to market, not just some hobbyist that we find dabbling around. And we brought in another engineer, and this guy 
turned out to be quite a bit better in understanding what it actually takes to bring products to market. Since then, we've been able to learn quite a bit about materials, design processes, and et cetera. But we're very proud to do all our R&D and prototyping right here in the US. And unfortunately, a lot of the manufacturing still has to be done overseas just because it's completely uncompetitive to do things in the United States. But all our products are unique and designed literally in the same building that I'm sitting in right now. What year does Yukon Glory itself start? Granted, you're starting in the shop, but you start to separate between the hardware store and Yukon Glory being its brand. What year was that? Pretty immediate. You know, we realized pretty quickly that this is really a, a separate business and we're appealing to a broader market than our customer base locally. We said, you know what, let's just do this. Let's build a brand. As I said, you know, we went through a bunch of these humps and uh, we really had a pretty difficult time initially to redirect when we were pushed against a wall, but identifying ourselves as a company. <laughs> initially, the company actually had a different name. Um, it, it, we always knew that we wanted to capture the spirit of the American freedom and openness and ruggedness. So our original name was Glorious Montana. Um, Montana, like reflecting like that ideal of this beautiful, open, rugged American space. And it worked really well until we were sued by, uh, for trademark infringement. Um, it seemed that it was, there was another company that had a Montana trademark, not even an active trademark, but you know, another business lesson that we learned, we had to rebrand. So the Yukon is probably one of the most open and rugged territories in, in, in the world. And we felt that if we're going to have to switch away from Montana, we wanted really something that reflected that quest for the openness and the freedom that goes along with the American spirit. I didn't know at the time that Yukon was in, the, it was in Canada, by the way. <laughs> it's part of North America. It's the same thing, right? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. In those initial years, you get that first engineer, you graduate to second engineer that can bring stuff to market, and you're establishing yourself within the industry. Are all of the subsequent products to a certain point just things that you and whoever else is part of Yukon Glory at that point saying, hey, I see this on Amazon or I see this on a store shelf. The concept is good, the execution is poor, and we can build a better mousetrap in that regard. Are those products just from your guys' mind at that point? That's an excellent question. No, we don't reverse engineer our products. The idea of just making a better version of someone else's horse did not appeal to us. Uh, initially, we tried it. I'm not going to lie. You know, When we were first evolving past the grill cover space, we said, hey, why don't we add in another feature or why don't we make an existing product better? But pretty quickly, we decided that we're going to make products that actually make the grilling experience a better experience and we're not going to base it based on what anybody else is making so you know we looked at issues that people are facing or what would possibly enhance and you know there's obviously going to be overlap there's going to be products that are similar to other products in the market but our design process never starts by looking at someone else's product we look at like how can i make it better how can I make the experience better? One of them is, for example, the grill and surf system, where we looked at it and we said, you know, how do people actually take things off the grill and serve them? There's a little bit of a uh, missing link there. Uh, you know, you have this really hot item 
And so some people just use some sort of an aluminum, like a pan or something and drop it in there. And we said, why don't we just create this really seamless system, which allows you to take something off and just use it along the way, serve it, store it. And that's how it was born. And, you know, it's been really, really popular. We, and we solved multiple different issues that we felt that people were having, uh, you know, the heat of the grill. We have this patented handle system that allows to take these really hot trays off the grill and that's been our driving force, you know. When I track Yukon Glory, there seem to be monumental points of continued success. So first, you track it back to the grill covers. My Michigan and Betty correspondent, John Solberg, had actually mentioned when I told him you guys were coming on as a sponsor, said, oh, I used to buy grill covers from them. That was the first product I started buying. And that's funny that right. you confirmed that whole deal on how you get into it. But then the next wave that I see, and I'm tracking this through what's on the pulse of live fire cooks across the country, both in the backyard, maybe in the competition scene, is the whole development and explosion of flat top cooking, specifically on that Blackstone cooker. There's some Me Too products that have come out too by Blue Rhino and some of these others, but relatively the same in shape, size, concept, and how it's going to work. You guys took real advantage, and I mean advantage in a good way, of seeing this cooker, seeing it get really popular, really among all backyards across the country, and then giving products to help enhance that flat top cooking experience, right? Yeah, and you mentioned Blackstone, and you know, Blackstone in many ways really came out of nowhere. That time, griddling, it's been around forever, but the idea that enhances what people do in, in their outdoor spaces and their grilling experience, that's a relatively new concept. And we recognized early on that this was going to be a, a very important development in this space. Again, you know, you, we have this product out there, right? It's designed for Blackstone, but currently we already have versions that fit others as well. How does someone griddle? What do you do when you're griddling? And one of the big things that is part of grilling is to have those squeeze bottles where you're putting oil or other condiments out there. So we created this sort of this attachment caddy that allowed you to keep these things attached to your griddle and to expand the actual thing, but very much designed to the way people actually use a griddle. The average person that griddles actually uses a squeeze bottle to, to squeeze oil or other things onto the griddle. So we said, how do we make that better? And that's where that was born. And people reacted to it really quickly and it became a very important product for us. One of the other pinnacle places that I saw was the thing that you had just mentioned a few minutes ago, which was that grill and serve set. I'm a clean freak myself, so using grilling baskets really never appealed to me because I was either yanking it off or I was trying to take things out of the grill basket from the grill, hoping I didn't lose anything in the transition or just taking the grill basket over and maybe not remembering that you have a tablecloth on the table or something and ruining or, or worse, messing everything up. And the grill and serve really eliminates all those uh, OCD issues that I have. And I'm sure a bunch of other people like to keep nice and clean eating spaces. I don't think I'm the only one that thinks about accessory products to cookers. And in the past, the first thing that I'm thinking about is how long am I going to get out of this before I have to go buy another? They're inherently cheap looking. You see them in all the big box stores and you're just like, I can't believe I'm going to buy it, but there's really nothing else that is going to give me the experience that I want. So you're just doing it anyway, knowing that at some point down the road, it's going to fail or you're going to use it too much. It's going to break and you'll have to go out and, and spend however many other dollars. In your case, and this is from somebody that's had hands-on experience with it, seeing the packaging arrive just starts the customer experience. You care about how it's delivered. 
The packaging out of the box is also a customer experience aspect. Then you open it and you see the product itself. You hold it in your hands. You feel the weight and the craftsmanship. To me, that's really where Yukon Glory sets itself apart from everything else that is just, as you say, in a, in a commodities market. Well, thank you, first of all. Um, and you're, you're really putting a stamp of approval to something that we have aspired to from the get-go. As I mentioned, we recognized early on that the outdoor cooking industry is not really just to create food for sustenance. It's an experience. You know, people that grill are passionate about grilling. And specifically, you know, we're seeing this this expansion of the industry into various different directions. The flat top cooking and pellets and ceramic systems, etc. You know, we said that what we're creating is we're creating passion products. We're creating products for people that are passionate about what they do. It was really important for us early on, even when it came to our grill covers already, we decided to not use any inferior materials to save money and really to go for something that we can be proud of long-term and that we know that our customers are going to be able to uh, experience and enjoy over the long run. Before we got into this conversation today and I was spending time with the engineer and we were going over various different gauges of the stainless steel and we're, we're really careful. And whenever there's a question about possibly saving some money, both in manufacturing and shipping etc. We really like to err on the side of making something too good. Mentioned earlier that grill and surf system, the amount of little minutia that went into making sure that that product actually was going to be useful in real life. You know, that idea of having this handle of taking things off a hot grill without burning yourself, the handle has to work. It has to actually grip yes. the products. You know, it's, it's almost a comedy to watch, to watch us like uh, trying to break it and, and, and use it in all kinds of different circumstances and, and really hot surfaces. But it's really only the beginning. You know, we, we, we take a system like that and there's going to be a whole bunch of products that are going to continuously enhance this particular system. So once you get into it, you're going to have various different inserts and other enhancements, which really allow you to, I can't give away too many details because the products are not yet to market, but there's over 10 products that are in the pipeline that are going to make that system even much, much more exciting. All right. Well, that was one of the follow-up questions I had towards the end was as far as <laughs> anything new. So we have no less than 10 new products to be waiting for here uh, through the next handful of months or so. Let's talk a little bit about protecting yourself as a business. I kind of knew about it, but then with Traeger buying Meter a handful of weeks ago, and then you also see both Traeger and Weber going out for IPO. Weber had bought a smart microwave company or some smart oven company, June. And what I realized is where a younger me might have thought they're trying to grow by buying something else and just ingesting their customer base. What they're really doing is buying patents. That really seems to be on trend. Maybe that's always been the thing that everybody's really been after. or Maybe it's a mix of both. So as you're bringing new stuff to market, you're not re-engineering, as you say. How are you protecting yourself? Do you get through all of development and then in process, you hammer something final out and then immediately go to the to the patent board or the trademark board to protect yourself? Yes. Um, <laughs> we have 20 patents that are either awarded already or are pending right wow. now. However, um, you know, unfortunately, the patent world is not what it used to be. You know, it definitely helps, but people go out there and they do violate patents and they're like, you know what, sue me, come after me. And 
let's see how deep your pockets are and let's see how deep my pockets are. And there's a lot of that. And there's always a question of like, how much am I going to really spend to, to protect myself? And while it's really important to patent your designs and really try to continuously bring new innovative products to market, the second part, the innovative is really what's going to continuously set you apart. We're going to keep filing for those patents, but at the end of the day, <laughs> we understand that uh, we need to stay on top of our game and really continuously bring really exciting products to market. And protecting ourselves against bad operators is only going to be limited. When we talk about research and development being done here, you're based out of Brooklyn, New York, correct? Yes. I don't know if everybody understands where the benefit of that lies. Uh, to me, I see it as uh, A, having the professionals here directly, but then it's you and the engineer and whoever else is around you trying to conceptualize all these great new accessories to help the grilling experience. You're messing around with it all the time. As you said, it's kind of a comedy to watch you try and make things fail or break things or use them in a way that you think other potential buyers and consumers will use them. Is that the biggest benefit to having R&D done here in the States, do you think? The items that you mentioned are definitely super important. I can't stress enough in general that the difference between a product in your mind and a product in real life can be very, very significant. No matter how good you are in conceptualizing things, no matter how good your ideas are, until you actually hold it and see it and touch it and play with it, you're going to be limited. Now, imagine using an overseas engineering and design team. Whenever they come up with a new design and they send you a prototype, there can be weeks and weeks of products. And very rarely is the product exactly what you want it to be on, on, on the first go. And we're talking about months of delays and huge costs of shipping prototypes back and forth. But it's also for IP protection, quite frankly. You know, there's a lot of bad operators out there. There was a product, I'm not going to go into details of it, but we developed this really cool product. In that particular case, we used a company in China to help us complete the product the engineering of it. And before we received our first shipment of the product, there was a Kickstarter campaign for the same product under a different name. We went to the, to the factory and they said, how is this possible? This is our product. This is our design. And they said, no, 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 this has nothing to do with us. And bottom line is it turned out that they sold our design to a different customer, which kickstarted it, got all the benefit of it, took, you know, stole the whole thunder. So wow. I am very much into the idea of keeping things local whenever possible. And I actually do believe very strongly and call me old fashioned, but I do believe that we need to re reboot America as more than, you know, as a technology center and whatever else the company has evolved into. We need to bring back a lot of the things that we've lost control over. I think uh, COVID specifically has taught us some very important lessons. Every day we ask ourselves, how can we bring manufacturing back to the US? And it's difficult, but I will not stop. Our company is going to eventually be producing either all or a significant uh, part of our products in the US. And I can just tell you that this is probably one of the most important things for us. It's the age old argument here. And for as long as I've been doing the show, I get people writing in, people chiming in on social media. We want stuff made in the USA. We want manufacturing brought back to the USA. The companies that say that they're making stuff 100% in the USA are, are happy to tout it and then turn directly around and go, I wouldn't, I'm not going to pay that kind of money to do that. There's that deficit or that disconnect. 
which as you was alluded to a little bit earlier, you're going to do the research and development here, but to remain competitive in the market from a price point standpoint, it's going to have to go over east and get manufactured there. So when we talk about that, how do you find, is it just through sheer experience and experimentation that you find the right manufacturing partner? Are you partnered up with one specific company that is going to be working with you ongoing? And then lastly, how do you put quality controls in place as it starts to come back over? And if things start to fall off or people aren't trying to put one over on you so they can pad their back pocket a little bit more and hope you don't catch it. So I don't know how deep I want to go get into this. <laughs> Not because I'm afraid to tell you. I, I just don't know how far I want to take this. Uh, and I don't want to come across as someone that's bashing a system. I can tell you that we do use several partners. We've definitely established a good group of partners over the years. But when you're dealing uh, with manufacturing in some of these countries, every single order, even if it's for the same exact product from the same exact factory, needs to be fully quality controlled and checked uh, again. And we find that there's very little long-term reliability. You know, At the end of the day, when you manufacture something in the United States and you find a partner and they make a product for you, you can pretty much count on the fact that they're going to make the same product for you on the next run as well. And that does not really exist out east. <laughs> There's some very interesting things, and I, I just want to mention one case in point just to, to give people an understanding of what we're up against. Early on, when we started making our grill cover, we decided we want to make our grill cover in the United States. And we said, we will pay more. We will do whatever it takes. We're going to make it in the U.S. We went to China at the time, and we said, we want to buy the material. We don't want to buy a finished product. And no matter how hard we tried, the cost of the material was always at least 3 to $5 higher than the cost of the finished product that we were buying. And it turned out a lot of things are subsidized. There's a lot of things that are out there. Mm. And the minute you're buying something that is not actually manufactured, for example, in this case, China, you're not getting those benefits anymore. You're now, you're now buying a raw material and now you're buying it at market price. And it just gave us no opportunity whatsoever to bring it here. So... We're really trying to examine what type of product and you know where specifically can we do it. But it is important. There's a lot of other factors out there, and I'm, I'm sure you've spoken about it on your show as well. We import products, and we have these containers coming. And containers that used to cost two and a half to three thousand dollars to ship are now costing between twenty and twenty-five thousand dollars to ship. You're not making any money. You're losing money on every container. As a company, we made a decision that we're going to continue to make sure that we have products in stock no matter what, even if we end up losing money uh, because we're a growing company and we find it important to be able to serve our customers and to not have these gaps in availability. But what, looks, what looked so cheap last year or two years ago suddenly looks quite expensive. And there is going to be an inflection point. There's going to be that time when you're like, am I really saving? Am I really doing right by myself or by my customer? And I think that's where we're headed. <laughs> Incredible insight here as we're talking about some uh, insider business stuff from one of the premier accessory makers for the live fire industry, Yukon Glory. The website, of course, is yukonglory.com. Ezreal, is there a particular product out of what you offer that you are more aligned to or that you have more of an affinity for that you find yourself using at home? Which ones do you like best? The grill and serve is definitely part of our daily uh, system. This has become a very important part of how we do things uh, in our own home. And the steak boards, actually, uh, you know, it seems like a pretty simple product. But again, you know, it's 
a top quality wood product and just a couple of little things that we put into it to solve some of the issues of, uh, you know, obviously, you know, a steak off a grill is best on a wooden board and it's got to sit for a few minutes and you're going to have the juices running off and you want to have the juices trapped. And then there's, we have these little condiment uh, holders that are part of it. It's a really cool way of serving at home. You know, there were versions of it in restaurants and, you know, there are others out there, but just like this really cool way of bringing that real barbecue feel to the table. That would definitely be two of the products that in, in, in my own house are very important. Azul, you had mentioned that we have 10 products to look forward to. Other than that, is there anything else as we talk here before we close up that you'd like to mention or promote? We don't look at ourselves as promotional in nature. Marketing or promoting is for us really an extension of the product that we create. We market before we create the product. The product is created according to what we feel is a story that we can tell and a question that we can answer. So we like to have our product speak for ourselves. I do want to say that, you know, over the years, we've put in a lot of effort to really, truly create products that we can be proud of and that we feel our customers can be proud of and get in there. You know, if, if you get into our systems, you know, you're going to have our long-term commitment. You mentioned earlier on about companies acquiring other companies. We've been approached probably about 15 times just this year about being acquired, and we don't want to be acquired. These are literally the words that we tell the acquiring companies. We don't believe that you're doing the customers a service by acquiring us. You're looking at it as bolstering whatever you're trying to do. And at the end of the day, we're a small company, we're growing, and every single moment we, we need to defend our existence. And that means that we're always going to create the best possible product and we're going to respond to any customer inquiry, any request, and we're going to continue to build on what we have. So we don't want to be acquired, at least not for the foreseeable future. You know, who knows what the long term will bring. And the other thing is that if you do get into one of our systems, such as the grill and surf system, you'll know that we're going to continuously innovate and the system itself is just going to keep getting better and better and it's going to give you more and more opportunities to to continuously enhance your experience so we'd love to have you join the family looking forward to serving you for the long term superior insight from the superior accessory maker out there in the live fire industry yukon glories ezreal rapaport joining me ezreal really appreciate the conversation today thanks so much thank you wow we Eye-opening, insightful, and hopefully motivating. He didn't promote it, but I will. UConnGlory.com, the website. Social media handles at UConnGlory as well. Through the rest of the month, and I'm looking to get it extended 10% off your entire order when you go to UConnGlory.com and use promo code 10CENTRAL, 10CENTRAL, all together. You can save 10% off the grill and serve system, the steak wood serving trays and all the other stuff the flagship product of grill covers and the list runs on and on plus new products to be looking forward to over the course of the next many months doesn't get any better than that all right we're lined up for next tuesday or this coming tuesday of course for a live show how do i always leave you september 11th 2001 i will never forget And until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.